Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I am Doug Hay, joined by Matt Tolman, who is about to share with us an interview he just did with Married to Health. Matt, how's it going? It's going great. I'm super energized. Uh, I just got done talking to James and Dahlia from uh, Married to Health, and we got into uh, a wide variety of topics. They are uh, incredible people and, and so sophisticated in the way they think about gut health. And we went from like, you know, intergenerational microbes about how you know, moms who, or, or rather grandmothers who have moms in their womb, like the moms have their eggs already and uh, and therefore being influenced by what grandma is eating and then, you know, what, what you want to eat, right? I mean, some, some wild topics that are super interesting. We're going to have to have a follow-up because we only scratched the surface on, <laughs> on all of these things. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear it. You just you just sent me the file, so I haven't listened to it yet, uh, but I'm excited to listen myself. Yep. And for all uh, those, uh, we, we touched on athletes, but, but in particular, you know, they have an expertise in uh, folks who have some sort of gut uh, stress, um, whether it's uh, IBS or, or SIBO or dysbiosis. Uh, you know, and we talked about how food sensitivity tests can actually just lead you to be really confused. So we definitely got into the, the practical stuff as, as usual as well. Awesome. Well, I, I don't think there's anything more for me to say. Let's just jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope everyone enjoys. Thanks. James, Dahlia, uh, the, the two co-founders of Married to Health, um, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast this afternoon. Cool. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you so much. So I have to start uh, and uh, with where does married to health come from, uh, and and you can answer that in any way or or starting at any time period you'd like because it seems to me that there's there's a million uh, sub questions to that like how did you guys find each other. What drove you guys to decide to work together? Uh, and then if we go even further back, you know, when did you decide separately, you know, to, to become dietitians? Um, like, was there a love of food or was it the science? And, and then, of course, through all of that, there, there became a, uh, an emphasis on, on plant-based. So I've teed it up for you to just talk for the next half hour. Um, on any of those subjects and I'll be over here blowing my nose because I have a cold and hope the audience audience will will forgive me for for whatever uh, I sound like today. (laughs) I I hear on podcasts it's good to blow directly into the microphone. I've heard that's no I'm just kidding. No but yeah that's a wonderful question. Yeah we could take it from here we'll do a part two even on that so we'll just keep talking but um, but I'll first start with saying I love the name married to health came from obviously a play on words of, of kind of lifestyle medicine of being married to being healthy, right? It's truly a, a lifelong relationship of health, right? We always say it's like cleaning a home where, you know, you don't just, you don't just not clean your home and expect a clean home, right? It's the same with a healthy body. You don't just not keep your body healthy and expect to have a healthy body. So it's, it's a daily 
Uh, daily maintenance, daily love, just like marriage. Very intentional. Very <laughs> intentional. And then we are married, you know, married registered dietitians. So that's kind of where the inception and the idea seeded for married to health. Yeah. And, then, and we kind of each had our own respective health journeys. I always uh-huh. like to say we were both our very own first patients. And, you know, the two of us really went through our own evolution with our own health. Both of us were obese, very unhealthy children. We all have our, we each have our laundry list of different diagnoses that we were given at a pretty young age for myself. It was pre-diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, high cholesterol, autoimmune thyroid condition, Hashimoto's. For James, it was things like asthma, joint pain. pain. Mm -hmm. I was, I was morbidly obese as a child, allergies. I was always sick. So I had every flu season, you bet I was getting the flu hardcore down and out every month. It seemed like I was sick, constantly going to the doctor, tons of medication, antibiotics, you name it. So I think both of us kind of Mm -hmm. took an interest in nutrition for our own selfish selves. Like I took a nutrition class in my first year of college because I was studying psychology at the time. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I was just diagnosed with all these things. I looked around me and I saw that others in my life who I knew family members and, you know, relatives and things like that, they had their own little medicine cabinet at home. They had lots of these diagnoses I was given and they were like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you know, just take your medicine. It's fine. And I was like, but you don't seem fine. So I don't think I want that for myself. Uh, That really just evoked and really ignited this love of nutrition that I had. So for myself, I started changing my own diet, not even plant-based up to that point, just hey, I should probably stop drinking soda. I think that that would help this pre-diabetes diagnosis I was just given. I should probably not be eating fast food. Maybe there's something to these vegetables that I've been nagged about my whole life. So really slowly just starting on that path. And then I decided, you know, psychology is cool. I love it. I have a really amazing appreciation for it, but nutrition, I think is where it's at for me. So I changed my major, I switched schools. And then there I was on my first day of school. And I found this interesting guy in my, he was in like all of my classes. And I remember he would make dad jokes and he was such a nerd, but he rode a motorcycle. So I was like, this guy's interesting. And she fell in love. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, and that's where we met. And then prior to that as well, I was, I was really into physical therapy. I started out kinesiology major. I had injured myself in high school playing football. And I thought weights and muscles, and it's all about fitness. It's all about exercise. He had which no neck when I met him. He was pure. I was like, like just a just muscle dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, come to find out, oh, wow, I still had my allergies. I was still getting sick. And I started reading more about nutrition and realized, oh, well, you know, if our microbiome isn't healthy, if we're not getting all these other nutrients that's needed for muscle growth, and not only that, but cellular maintenance, right? We know, I know a lot of people who look good on the outside, but their cells are crying on the inside, right? So um, I was even as a physical therapy aide in a, in a PT's office and just constantly talking to patients about how horrible they felt and they're sick with this and this is going on and I was kind of giving them some nutritional advice even though I probably shouldn't have but it really sparked my interest of nutrition I was reading about nutrition I was talking about nutrition but I was studying more kinesiology so I made that switch 
um, and met Delia. And that's yeah. where, yeah, we had all the same classes and we continued from there. And we were totally the odd people out mm -hmm. in our undergrad, you know, in college, we were, we were the oddballs for sure. Yeah. And that's really yeah. where we became plant-based. We first started learning yeah. just more about food systems. I remember I read Michael Pollan's In Defense of Food and of course watched his really amazing documentary, Food Inc. And I was like, hey, there's, you know, there are things going on in our food system that, aren't conducive to great health. And James also had an interest in that and food sustainability. And so from there, that kind of naturally led us to segue into reading the China study. James read the yeah. China study and presented this information to me. And he was like, oh, this is interesting. I think that this whole plant-based notion is something that could be really conducive to great health. And mm -hmm. we started slowly from there. We said, okay, neither of us really eat pork. That's a non-issue. We stopped eating beef and then chicken. And you know, then there were fish and eggs and slowly we started cutting them out. I think for me, my last thing was eggs. For James, it was cheese. <laughs> yeah, it was cheese for me. It was, it was really difficult. Yeah, and that was so, over 10 years ago. <laughs> it's always eggs or cheese. Right. Um, <laughs> it's always eggs and cheese for sure and uh yeah so it was, it was really it was a nice progression it probably took us like two years just being like these flexitarian you know pescatarians and then being fully 100 plant-based and so we've been on this journey for like 12 years mm -hmm. but then fully 100 plant-based 10 years and in that time you know we've reversed all pretty much all of our diagnoses. I had still have my autoimmune condition. I will, because it was pretty mm -hmm. severe upon diagnosis. But other than that, we are both extremely healthy, no longer get sick really ever, mm -hmm. um, no longer have these allergies or any of these issues that we previously suffered from and feel really empowered to share that with others. Raising a kid also, we have a six and a half year old daughter, Layla. And you know, us as kids not being really mm -hmm. raised with that appreciation for whole foods are very determined to in instill that in Layla and really teach her where food comes from, why plant foods are healthy for our bodies and how to really balance that with treats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's so much to, to dig in there. Um, I would love to see a family photo album you know, the James with no neck, you know, like, I mean, it sounds like James, your body has gone through multiple iterations of itself between, uh, you know, body. well, for those who aren't watching uh, the video, um, both James and Dolly are beautiful, very fit looking people. And, uh, and so hearing that, that you guys came from, um, yeah, more, more modest beginnings. Uh, and then James, you clearly went through some sort of bodybuilding phases. Uh, yeah, it is surprising to hear. So um, I hope you'll, you'll uh, share some photos with me at some point, but um, <laughs> so, so at what point, um, there, there, there seems to be a focus, uh, on gut health. And of course, for anyone who's, uh, uh, plant-based, um, you know, there's, there's a, a clear connection between what you put into your gut and your overall health. So that's not that surprising, but, but gut health and, you know, the, the microbiota is, is a little bit more nuanced than that. And you guys have taken a little bit more of a focus uh, there. Where, where did that come from? And, uh, you know, just a pure interest in the science or, or is that the most effective tool to focus on? And I'm going to step off camera because there seems to be some sort of bird reunion happening outside of my window. So I'm going to close the window, but I am, I'm listening while you answer that question. Okay. Well, we, um, 
so yeah i think the i think honestly it was an evolution so i just just as we evolved with our eating and started out kind of flexitarian pescatarian and we evolved to more 100 whole food plant-based um it was it's the same in our research and in our profession and us as registered dietitians it's like we're constantly digging i would say we're, we're always looking for that where where does this that root why? connect to that why and that why connect to the other root and we're constantly digging and ultimately we've been digging and it goes to gut health and, and i recently claimed in another talk and another project we're working on where honestly i think gut health is the nexus of all health for the planet and so it really is these microbes that are our foundation, whether you're talking about soil, whether you're talking about our lungs, whether you're talking about the gut, whether you talk about anything, and I'll show you the microbe that makes it exist. So we really came to that understanding. And, and as integrative registered dietitians, we are looking for that root. And I think we found it. And one of our goals has always been to help people eat more plants, whether they are fully plant-based or not, how to eat more plants. And one of the biggest things is people tell us, I want to eat them. I, I think they taste good. You know, I like integrating them. I just don't feel well when I eat them. And I totally get it. You know, coming from that background mm -hmm. of not being healthy myself, I didn't even realize that I had gut issues until James really was the one who brought it to my attention. And he brought up the fact that I would constantly say I have a stomach ache. I didn't even realize it at the time. I think it was just kind of natural after eating. I would always have a stomach ache, pre-plant-based even when we first started plant-based. And so on my own kind of IBS type journey as well, I've understood which foods are triggers for that. And working with patients and working with clients over the last decade or more, we've really started to understand that gut health can really be a hindrance to improving one's whether it's their weight that they want to lose, whether it's their glucose that they want to better manage if they have diabetes or risk factors, whether it's their cholesterol, cancer risk factors, no matter what it is, adding more plants is always going to be a great solution. And it sounds great and it sounds easy and it's like, oh, okay, then I'll just do that. But we understand that there are sometimes drawbacks or not drawbacks, but really roadblocks to them being able to do that. So we understood that we can be all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and be preaching this plant-based gospel to everybody. But if they truly aren't tolerating the plants, then we need to help people come up with a solution. And that's really what we focused our efforts on, not only helping adults do that, but also educating families on how to prevent their kids from having gut issues. So they're eating them from the beginning and tolerating them from the beginning. Yeah. And to add to that, I mean, it's coming from a deep understanding and I know we love seeing like gut health is really out there right now. It's really, it's a buzzword. Probiotics have been a buzzword mm. for some time and now you're getting prebiotics and you're getting, you know, gut health, gut microbiome, gut microbiota. It's, it's wonderful to see, but truly understanding. And we try to help our patients understand where this is coming from. And we give analogies of, you know, it wasn't that long ago, a couple, even like a hundred years ago, you really couldn't go to Whole Foods and be like, today I'm going to be vegan. And then next week I'm going to be keto. And then the following week, I'm going to do a juice fast. It's like, even a hundred years ago, we couldn't do that. And, and if you go back even not that long ago, 500 years ago, let's say you were traveling to get those different foods. So if you made a migration from one part of a country to another part of the country, you are slowly changing your diet because food was hyper local. There, there wasn't this mass transit food system like we have today where you can get food grown, you know, in Africa 
all the way here in the United States in, in an instant at your local grocery store. So we have the ability to rapidly change our diet. That doesn't mean our ancient ecosystem inside of us can change that rapidly. So having that understanding and helping our patients understand that gives them patience, right? It helps them see, okay, you've been sick for maybe 15, 20 years, give yourself a little bit longer than a couple of weeks, right? Like have that patience and that understanding to go, okay, this is, this is an ancient gift and we need to treat it with respect. So some context is helpful. Kind of sure. understanding yeah. different foods that can affect their gut. So we were really big on educating with what foods you might want to start with and what foods you might want to save for later. Mm-hmm. There's so much to dig into there. And, uh, and James, the, the, uh, yeah, thinking about migration in the past, you know, um, it, I mean, it's remarkable. I was just talking to, uh, to my wife about the fact that uh, our kids eat these berries, you know, year round that are absolutely not, you know, indigenous. We, we live at 10,000 feet above sea level. Like there, there are no berries growing here. And, you know, again, we, we have no, no seasonality anymore because everything is, is at our fingertips. And I don't even live near whole foods, but, but still like we, we can get anything, you know, uh, within reason. And, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. Uh, it's obviously a great achievement. Um, not to say that our food system doesn't have a, a lot of issues for sure. Um, uh, food deserts not, you know, being uh, uh, one that we, we should forget, but uh, um, you don't think about what that means from, from a health standpoint. So um, what does that mean? I mean, what, what is your coaching for, for patients? Uh, just patients that, that, you know, it takes, it takes time or, you know, uh, Walter Longo, um, uh, you know, who's the prolon uh, fasting genius, uh, I think he's at Stanford, um, you know, he, he's one to, to uh, suggest that we should match um, what we eat more so to where our ancestors come from. Um, so if you have ancestors that, that maybe come from near the equator, maybe your, your body is more in line with, with uh, consuming turmeric. Um, and, uh, and, and if you have ancestors that come from, you know, like Northern Europe, like they never had turmeric, you know, mm-hmm. so like maybe that's not actually, and I, I don't, to, to be honest, this came up in conversation recently. I have not looked deeply into his theories on, on the subject, but I'm just curious since you brought, uh, brought that up, um, if you guys have looked into it at all or have, have an opinion. Yeah. So I, I love this subject and I, I recently read an amazing study on this of how these bacteriophages inside of us are literally transferring genetic material from our food. The phages are kind of this middleman to our microbes, which then transfer it to our human cells. So we have this like genetic transfer going on between the food we eat. And, and let me just back up. And a lot of people, we don't think about this on a daily basis, right? We're not like, we're not looking at the bell pepper going like, ooh, bell pepper DNA. And oh, there's bell pepper viruses. And this whole, this plant has its own microbiota, right? We don't, we don't really think about that. We're very focused on our microbiota for good reason. But this really speaks to the integrative kind of holistic model of we're all connected, right? We're all very similar and we're all sharing. And so this is a message we try to get out as well. Um, 
I think I think this message has been confused for a long time, right? We the the science usually takes time to catch up to to some of these themes, maybe, but it's it's coming. And I think in the next five to ten years, we'll see even more of this of understanding. Oh well, food has DNA and viruses that interacts with our DNA and our viruses. And we have this beautiful like symphony going on. So it's really interesting. And I think it also speaks to kind of that transgenerational microbiome that gets Mm -hmm. passed down because when grandmother was pregnant with mom, your egg was in there, right? So women, you know, in utero have all of their eggs in their little developing uterus per se. And so grandmother's choices could kind of indirectly affect yours. So perhaps when grandmother passed her vaginal microbiome off to mom, those microbes were accustomed to digesting certain foods over others. So certainly there is something to saying that, that, you know, regionally what you're accustomed to digesting, absorbing could get passed down and sure it can shift over generations. Right now we're all really shifting our microbes and shifting our microbiomes, Mm -hmm. but you might find that one person does a little bit better with a higher fat diet, whereas another person perhaps digest carbohydrates a little bit better. And I think both of those factors that food DNA factors into it. And then the Mm -hmm. microbiomes that are passed down generationally can also definitely Mm -hmm. factor into that. And so the way I kind of like to put it is, and it's, and honestly, this is the analogy that's coming to mind right now, because we're, we're more focused on athletes. And this is like an athletic podcast where it's, you know, uh, Olympics is very, or it's, it's the trials are going on right now. So it's like we're in this baton race. We're in this like ancient baton race where each new generation is handing the baton and it's really a, a microbial baton where mom has the baby and we're getting the microbes through the vaginal canal, breast milk, skin to skin, and then the new generation forms and they do the same. And it, we just, we have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. And so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some truth of where you grew up, where this where this baton came from is going to shape you even in the 21st century. And so I think we're gonna see more and more evidence of that. Um, another thing too is, is data. Like we think of data and honestly, we're very similar to cell phones. We have so much data and part of the data is even our waste. So for a, a long time in, in human history, we used our waste to then grow food, right? Like our, our human feces, which, which have been coined now humanure, um, you can actually compost that and then use that into growing new food. So you are completing the cycle. That is data. There's, there's evidence, and there's going to be more and more robust studies on this, but there's evidence to say that the feces coming out of you are more microbial in makeup than just waste. It's not just like rotting food. It's more dead microbial cells that then can be taken up by the soil. The microbes in the soil can assess, what is this telling me? What is this data transfer? And then continue that transfer to the new seeds and the new food, which you eat again. So it's quite amazing. We're seeing these cycles all throughout nature and they are affecting us and shaping us in so many ways that we have yet to fully understand. It it blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, uh, it's, uh, trippy comes to mind. Um, (laughs) you can see I'm, 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 uh, I've got two different notes going here and I'm, I'm typing away and writing because I'm, I'm trying to remember all the things that I, I want to follow up on in the garden. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, so so it's uh, it's a treasure trove, but I'll, I'll go back to the practical, and then maybe we'll we'll uh, yeah. find our way more to the the theoretical. Because I personally find that to be super cool, but want to always make the these conversations as as useful for our audience as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we just touched on the fact that some foods may make sense for some people, mm-hmm. and less so uh, for others, um, or high fat diet, for instance, you know, Dahlia, you mentioned that uh, um, you obviously struggled with uh, certain foods and I, and always, you know, uh, I think you said had an upset stomach and you just thought that was natural. Um, that's very similar to, to my wife's experience. Um, she uh, has a gluten intolerance, um, but never diagnosed it. And of course she went to the doctor and and the doctor said, oh, you know, uh, you have a hypothyroidism. Um, it's cool. We'll just put you on this hormone therapy. Um, and, and even then I, I wasn't ver- very well educated on nutrition, but I, I knew enough to say like, wait, you know, when you start messing with hormones, there's all sorts of like downstream effects that like we, you know, it's just like hard to compute what could possibly go wrong with that, you know? And, but I at least was smart enough to, to say like, well, what happens if like you grow a tolerance to that hormone therapy? And they're like, well, we'll just increase it. You know, it's no problem. It's like, well, like at some point you can't increase it. Right? And they're like, oh, we'll just switch to drug. And I'm like, you know, at the time she was, uh, I think early thirties, late twenties, even. Um, I was like, well, we got a long distance to go here. Like perhaps we, we should just explore other options. Right. And a simple Google search uh, unveiled that like, there's a couple things, you know, alcohol, coffee, sugar, gluten, mm-hmm. you know, we don't drink and I can't take away coffee, right? That would be a, a, a very dangerous move for me. I, I wouldn't probably survive the day. Um, and, uh, uh, and so you're left with like, you know, well, why don't we just cut out gluten? Uh, you know, it's all, it's all the rage even then to, to cut out carbs. So uh, let's give that a shot. And Within like 30 days, you know, she had totally uh, uh, fixed all the, you know, the the biomarkers. Um, she'd also lost a ton of weight, and she said something similar to you, Dahlia, that uh, she's like, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to like, you know, have an upset stomach every time I ate, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like, how do people, you know, find out, or or what's your recommendation for like the process to discover should I be on a high fat diet, you know, like, should I go on an elimination diet? What are the signs or, cause I, I'm also curious for me, like, I don't have any of those issues, but like, I'm super curious. Like maybe mm. I too will have that revelation where it's like, oh, I was actually low energy and I never knew I should feel this way until I started cutting out this or that, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it really is it can be highly individualized and not, you know, there are some general recommendations that we can talk about, but I think it's becoming even more convoluted now with all these different options with like food sensitivity tests, like just send us a piece of your hair or a drop of your blood. And we'll tell us all the things you're sensitive to. And, you know, I've gone down that rabbit hole. I've worked in practices who ordered a lot of food sensitivity testing for patients. And it's not the end all be all. Oftentimes it causes more food fear and it's making unnecessary recommendations. A lot of times with food sensitivity tests, 
what you're really going to get out of the results is that you probably have leaky gut. So they're basically testing these different types of food proteins and antigens against immune reaction. And so if you have a sensitivity, sure, you're going to have an IgG immune reaction to it. If you're allergic to a food, you might have an IgE allergic reaction to it. You might have an intolerance that might provoke an IgA immune reaction from your immune system. But how is your immune system even coming into contact with those things in the first place? Leaky gut is usually involved. We've been talking a lot about leaky gut, AKA intestinal hyperpermeability is what it's technically called, but that is happening over time. And so if one is suspecting, okay, I'm just going to do food sensitivity tests and I'm going to cut out all those things. Oftentimes what happens is you'll get the results back and you're like, what the heck? Bananas, blueberries, oats, coffee, all the things I have every day are on here. I must be sensitive to everything. Not necessarily. It's likely not the bananas, blueberries, and oats that induced some of this leaky gut. They're kind of just guilty by association. The doors were open. The leakiness was there. So these food proteins just kind of passed their way out naturally into your bloodstream. And now your immune system is recognizing them and reacting against them. But you want to figure out what caused it in the first place. I will say there are some top allergens and top irritants that one can kind of try first and foremost. Gluten is one of them. And gluten is not only a top allergen, it is also very fermentable. So it's technically one of these FODMAP foods that we'll talk about, but you can start with that elimination, start with the top eight, you know, start with things like um, eggs, dairy, fish, shellfish, gluten, or wheat, actually wheat, mm -hmm. um, peanuts, tree nuts, and soy. So if you want, start there and then see, take them all out, see how you feel with adding them back in one by one. That's probably a more accurate way than getting a food sensitivity test. You can also go on a reverse elimination diet. So something like a low FODMAP diet, which is basically removing fermentable carbohydrates. So FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. They're different types of fermentable fibers and sugars. You're going to eliminate them and slowly reintroduce them. We came up with, for those on a plant-based diet who are like, what the heck, I do not want to avoid all these carbohydrates and avoid all of these FODMAPs, or maybe they have, and it didn't work for them. We came up with a six six slash seven phase reverse elimination. And so basically we're taking people through this evolution of adding back in different types and different, different um, levels of fibrous foods to understand, is it these higher fat foods that I'm reacting to? Is it grains that I'm reacting to? And which one is it if it is? So really working with someone who understands how to help you avoid the least amount of things possible is really important. A lot of times patients come to us in tears. They are like, I worked with, you know, five providers. I saw, you know, gastroenterologist. I saw another nutritionist or dietitian. I saw functional medicine. I saw a naturopath. And every time I leave them, I just leave with less things to eat. And now I eat three to five things and that's all I can eat and tolerate. And it, I'm backed into this corner. And so that's our specialty where we're like, yes, let's help you reintroduce. Let's help you heal. Let's help you retolerate a lot of these different foods. And to kind of to kind of summarize that a little bit, it's it goes back to risk, right? Like there's there's risk in everything, but what we did was look at kind of what was out there and look at what a lot of dietitians practice, which are these elimination diets, but really focus on things we should all be eliminating, even beyond the scope of food. So 
uh, you know, uh, synthetic chemicals in your food, whether they're added colors, whether that's pesticide residues, whether it's, it's residues in your house or things you're cooking with that you shouldn't be, right? So PFAS are, are a big, you know, a buzzword now, which is great. It's, it's getting into the more mainstream. So that can come from nonstick cookware and things like that. So Part of this elimination is also looking at the totality of risk and assessing, hey, there's a lot of other things going on here. Let's also eliminate those. That's part of this reverse elimination as well. And, and those might and be things nutrition. drawing inflammation. So that right. might be furthering or even inducing some of that leaky gut. And so it really, an analogy for that would be like a runner who's like, I'm wearing high heels when I do my sprints and I don't know why I keep twisting my ankle. You know, well, it's like, there's probably a less risky shoe you can wear, right? Like no one's, no one wants to do sprints in high heels. So there's, let's, let's find another shoe for you. Oh, here, here's a great running shoe. Or now there's like those barefoot shoes that are really, you know, just dynamic and fit to your foot and are really great natural way. So you can get even better and better and better. And that's what we would do with nutrition, right? Everyone's kind of focused on, I need to do all this testing. I need to cut out all of this. And it's like, meanwhile, they're wearing high heels and they're running, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's that analogy. Instead of looking at the foundation and the basic and the obvious, we're like looking for everything else. And we don't realize the risk we are currently, you know, using or, sub mm -hmm. or submitting our body to. So yeah, we just try to simplify it a little bit. <laughs> Well, I think, I think that's why I, I have uh, uh, Longo's um, comments about uh, uh, sort of your, um, call it na native roots, as far as what you should be eating, because um, like you, you know, I, I'm one to, to, uh, to do testing. I, I love testing. I love the data. Um, uh, but I also, uh you know, I think the, the more you can simplify your life, the happier you're going to be, right? Um, and I've actually, uh, yeah, I think I did do a food sensitivity test and uh, um, and goes to show you, I don't even think about it. I don't remember it. I think it was what you said, Dahlia, that like it came back and I was like, wait, these are like all my favorite foods and what I rely on every single day. And like, okay, so um, yeah, I haven't had shellfish in a decade. Like, you know, that doesn't help me, you know, but like you tell me I can't have blueberries like that's so, so, um, yeah, I love the idea that, you know, you got to go back to, uh, to, to the foundation. Um, let's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to run out of time because I know one of the things that, that you guys really specialize in is helping people tolerate more plants and, um, that hit home, that hits home for me, um, because my dad, uh, you know, who is kind of in a, a constant going plant-based phase since I did 10 years ago. And I've been, you know, trying to convince him, um, and, and he's made it quite a, quite a bit. Um, but as a result, like he's constantly complaining of that, uh, call it discomfort or bloating or this or that, um, uh, so I'm, I'm curious, what is your recommendation to, to folks who, who, yeah, don't, don't tolerate plants that, that well? Yeah. Um, I always say, start with what's simplest, whether you start with simply cooking things and avoiding raw. Again, if you went from eating a lot of refined foods, like a lot of people feel better when they avoid gluten because a lot of gluten is in highly processed foods. 
So remembering that your gut was thriving on these processed foods. So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to go plant-based, let me eat kale salads and I'm going to eat a ton of beans. You want to think, how can I break the fiber down and try to kind of pre-digest it a little bit? So doing things like cooking breaks down the fiber. It doesn't take away the fiber. I often get that question. Mm -hmm. It just breaks it down. So it's a little bit less cumbersome for your digestive system. Um, freezing things also, as we know, when you freeze fruits, when you freeze vegetables, the ice crystals form, they expand, they break apart that cellulose fiber. And that's why when we thaw them once again, they're soggy and they're mushy. It's because the fiber got broken down. So with some of my patients, they might tell me, I tried putting kale in my smoothie and it still hurt my stomach. So I'll say, maybe cook it, blanch it, even, you know, do what you need to do, microwave it if that's quicker for you, and then try to freeze it and then blend it. So then you're breaking it down in three different ways. You're getting that cooking in, you're getting that blending in, you're getting that freezing in. So I always say, start there, start with cooked fruits and vegetables and see how you tolerate them. Maybe you want to be mindful of which ones might be a little bit more fermentable. So maybe avoiding things like the cruciferous vegetables first when you're first starting and onions and garlic and a couple of others, maybe you're focusing more on starches like potatoes are very easy to digest. You might want to focus on things like cucumbers and bell peppers and tomatoes, and you can be cooking and blending these things too. I love a good cucumber in my smoothies. So starting with breaking the fiber down and then slowly increasing the amount of fiber. Beans are a great example. Oftentimes when I'm told by my patients, oh yeah, I can't eat beans. I, they bloat me so badly. I'll ask what types of beans are you eating? And they'll always, almost always, they'll almost always say black beans, pinto beans, and kidney beans. Those are some of the highest fiber beans. And so they're not only very starchy, they're also very high fiber. So that's going to cause some gas and some bloating, those resistant starches in beans, which are so good for your gut, but are fermentable. And also that high amount of fiber, also great for the gut, but also very fermentable when your gut's not used to it is going to cause discomfort. So I always say, start low and slow. Why don't we start with things that are less fermentable, lower fiber beans? Let's start with things like soybeans or tofu and tempeh are great examples, especially if they're firm. So mm -hmm. firm tofu, um, do things like lentils and chickpeas. If you're getting canned, look for organic. We like Eden brand, rinse them before because you're rinsing off some of that starch. Um, pressure cook them or even better than that, soak them yourself, get dried beans, soak them and sprout them. That makes them even easier to digest. You can do this with grains as well. So slowly adding and not trying to go from, you know, zero to 60 or zero to hundred right away, really giving your gut that time and trying to say, how can I help my gut? How can I lend a helping hand? How can I pre-digest, if you will, some of these things coming in? And so this is very similar to other things, right? Like you don't, like a novice athlete doesn't go to the Olympics in, you know, in a week or something, right? Like a uh, someone who is getting their driver's license doesn't go to the Indy 500 right away, right? So it's like a slow buildup. And, and if, especially if you're coming from the standard American diet, there are many studies to show our gut microbiota can change meal to meal. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming from a standard American diet, your microbiota, like Delia said, has adjusted to that diet. Those ref highly refined processed foods 
it's used to that. So then overnight, if you switch to more plants or you're like, you know what, I, I saw this documentary, which is great. It's inspired you. And tomorrow I'm going to be a full plant-based vegan. It's going to be great. I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be, or I'm going to be raw. That's even a, an even harder one. That's even beyond that. So we see that a lot and then things don't go well. And then you get, you know, this whole movement of like, oh, these plants are bad for you. Lectins and phytates and blah, blah, blah when it's it's that context that really matters and it's that important context that's missing a lot of the time so yeah. we try to give that important context and guidance and i love when someone comes to me saying i want to go plant-based what should i do i always like mm -hmm. to say where are we starting let's see yeah. how your motility is to start with are you tending to be constipated let's figure out why do you have any nutrient deficiencies you wouldn't you'd be pretty shocked of how many patients come to me they're not mm -hmm. plant-based and they're still b12 deficient we know B vitamins are extremely important for motility in your gut. Mm -hmm. So I like to say, okay, let's get you taking a good B complex or let's get you on complement or let's get you taking a really robust, good multivitamin. Let's rule out any, anything that could, like I said, be restricting motility. Are you mm -hmm. diabetic? Um, and do you have past history of eating disorder, especially with purging? Have you had any neurodegenerative diagnoses like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's? Have you had any traumatic brain injuries that might be affecting your motility? So whether one is intending to go plant-based, if someone is plant-based, understand that there are certain risk factors to getting really good movement and a really good rhythm in your gut and ensuring that that rhythm is on par. So taking your supplements is really important for the gut as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, trying to understand your health story. That's always mm -hmm. the first thing I ask people, what's your health story? What was your diet like over time? What were you exposed to? Are there any gaps that we can fill in in that? Are there any little nuances in that, that we want to pay attention to? Awesome. Those are great suggestions. And uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll lose my dad when I suggest sprouting his beans. Um, you know, he struggles yeah. with making quinoa. So, but, uh, but that is fascinating about freezing. I didn't, I didn't think about freezing, breaking down uh, cellulose in, in the same way uh, as like cooking. So that's mm -hmm. an awesome tip. Um, uh, I know we were talking about athletes when we, when we uh, started the conversation uh, before recording. Uh, are those generally the same topics or are there additional considerations for, for athletes? There are a couple additional things mm -hmm. to consider. We know one study showed that around 30 to 50% of athletes said that gut symptoms were one of the most common things that were holding them back or were causing underperformance. So it is prevalent. Mm -hmm. We know that there's even something called exercise induced gastrointestinal syndrome. So this is really happening because exercise, although it's a good stress on the body, it's a stress on the body. Totally. And so there, and there's three categories of, of this inflammation or stress. It's really synonymous, right? There's physical, chemical, and emotional. And really with our patients, we find that there's a perfect storm happening, whether it's been happening for 20 plus years or it was an acute event that really just synergistically came together and, and exploded this, right? So one that comes to mind was a patient where he, he did have IBD, so he did have inflammatory bowel disease and he was in remission, so it was under control. And he felt confident, right? You start to feel like, wow, I got this under control, I'm doing great, wonderful. He went to a friend's wedding, so traveling, we know traveling, he got on an airplane, traveling can really stress the gut. So you're around lots of people, you're in new places. Again, think of our ancestors. 
our ancestors didn't go on a plane and travel thousands of miles in a couple of hours, right? It happened over a long period of time. So that's one. He got to the wedding, staying up late, so lack of sleep. So he didn't get a lot of sleep. That's another stressor. He was drinking alcohol, which he doesn't really do. That's another stressor. I think he got up a couple of days with his friends and went for a run. So stress, stressful exercise. And sure enough, he got a flare, you know, coming back home. So he went into a flare, lots of inflammation. He came to me like, oh man, what do I do? And I gave him that context. He was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So exercise again is good, but in the context in that case, I would say hold off on the exercise, right? In that case, I would say hold off on a lot of things, understand your past and your history, and then kind of go from there. But Or if you don't want to hold off, just understand different lifestyle factors that can mm-hmm. contribute and then maybe scale back a little bit. So mm-hmm. if you're really at that 60% or more VO2 max, if you're really pushing your exercise capacity, understand that if you have already pre-existing gut conditions or gut issues, that might stress your gut out a little bit more. So maybe pull it back a little bit. Um, And then understand that there might be a little bit of nuance if you are an athlete or somebody who's exercising with gut issues or notice that your gut issues really only onset when you are exercising. Um, Mm -hmm. That might not be the best person to do a fasted exercise. You might want to eat within two to four hours before the workout. Mm -hmm. And then studies actually show that having about 15 grams of carb every 20 minutes in an exercise is going to reduce some of that intestinal inflammation. Um, So some of that stress that goes on in the gut. So keep that in mind. If you're like, every time I exercise, my gut just doesn't feel good. Maybe don't do a fasted exercise. Um, You want to consider the environment that you're exercising in. Mm -hmm. Is that causing you stress? Like we're so different. James loves running outside, going on trail runs. That stresses me out. I'm like, (laughs) am I going to step on a snake? How hot am I going to be? How far did I even run? Like I'm too way too type A to run outside. I love my treadmill and I love my controlled setting. And you know, that stresses me out. Whereas he gets stressed out running on a treadmill. So really try to understand what additional stressors are coming into play while you might be exercising. Um, Understand also what you might be exposed to. If you're running by a road, you might be exposed to additional stress, chemical stress. If I'm at the gym, I might be exposed to more chemical solvents, things like that. So that's also a stress to consider. Um, So really understanding that dehydration Mm -hmm. is big with IBS. So trying to make sure that you're not dehydrated. I did mention eating beforehand, especially if you have exercise induced gut symptoms, but you really want to be mindful of what you are eating. You don't want to be eating a really high fat meal. Studies have shown that high fat meals not only take longer to digest, so you might get that like brick in your stomach feeling if you're having a ton of fat before, but they also can slow down movement, slow down motility. So you might have that like, I'm going to vomit feeling, or I need to get this brick out of my gut right now feeling. Your body's just like, I can't do this right now. We're already doing too many things. Um, So really trying to avoid very high fat meals is another little takeaway that I like to give. Um, And especially the type of fat, if it's a saturated fat, like tons of coconut products. So people who are really into like MCT oil, coffee, um, that saturated fat can actually induce a little bit of leaky gut. Probably not what you wanna do right before workout. Um, And then, yeah, some of these other tips, avoid really high fiber meals. 
So you, again, probably don't want to have a kale salad before you work out. Um, So that can induce just more motility that might cause a little bit more of that urgency to go to the restroom. And yeah, James can talk a little bit about some of these foods then to be eating a little bit of while exercising. Yeah. So obviously, you know, amino acid rich foods are excellent post-workouts. You're getting, you know, important, uh, important compounds like citrulline and things like that. So you're going to find which happen to be found in some high FODMAP foods. This is where, again, FODMAP foods are good for you in the right Mm -hmm. context. So some great foods that are also good to give you these healthy compounds as well as, uh, you know, compounds that promote like nitric oxide and things we want for an athlete, beets and pomegranate. And just, you know, a lot of these foods have a synergistic effect. You're going to get these amino acids. You're going to get these other, you know, vitamins and minerals that have a synergistic effect. I always say, do you want one gift on Christmas or 10 gifts on Christmas? Like why not get as many beneficial factors as possible in a post-workout meal? So you're completely healing and revitalizing the body and then building back stronger, you know? So it, it just makes so much sense. So we see that in plant foods more so than these isolated, you know, macro molecules, where it's just like, I'm just going to drink this protein powder and that's all I'm going to have. Well, no, mix that with other things, have that with other things and get that synergistic effect going for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, so much that we we can dig into. I, I want to be respectful of your your time, but um, as as one of you said, we're going to have to have a uh, a round two to to uh, yeah. I mean, we For opened sure. up so many topics between intergenerational baton passing of microbes <laughs> to uh, I don't know what what did you call it um, uh, intestinal hyperpermeability. Yes. There's no question why they called that leaky gut. Um, right. No one can pronounce intestinal hyperpermeability. I mean, it's just, um, and then citrulline is something that me and, and uh, my partner, Matt Frazier, have been talking a, a lot about. Both of us are always doing self experiments. And, and yeah, so, so, so much more to dig into. But I, I want to be respectful of your, your schedule as I know you have patients coming up. Um, speaking of which, uh, of course, if any listener wants to, connect with you guys, the best place to do that is your website, I assume, marriedtohealth.com, right? Yes, marriedtohealth.com. And then that same name all over social media as well. So Instagram, Facebook, you know, yeah, married to health, you can, you can find us there. Awesome. And and unlike a lot of experts that we get on, you guys are, uh, you do make yourself available and uh, you're as fun to talk to uh, outside of podcasts as you sound. So I encourage folks to, to reach out. Um, is there one last, uh, parting gift? Uh, you know, I love Tim Ferriss's, um, question about, you know, what would you put on a billboard, uh, or just a call to action that you want to, uh, share with people? I think I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? I think kind of our, our, our tagline is heal with each meal. That was what I was going to oh, say. Oh, look at that. It's like we're married. <laughs> it's like yeah, we're together all the time. That's our tag is, is honestly heal with each meal. And it fits so well because you can shape your microbiota with each meal. You can heal your microbiota, which is essentially healing your body with each meal. And so, yeah, I mean, if you don't know where to start, start with your next meal. That's it. And, and go from there. Awesome. Well, that is a great uh, inspirational place to to leave it. So uh, again, James, Dahlia, thank you so much for, for spending your afternoon with us and, and sharing all this wisdom. 